This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Qul hadihi sabili ad'u ila Allahi ala basiratin ana wa man ittaba'ani. وَسُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ رَبِّ شْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُ الْعُقْدَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Once again everybody, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته Yesterday we spent an hour or so talking about the first phrase in the ayah Ayah number 108 uh, And I hope you appreciated why I think this ayah deserves so much time and attention. It is, in a sense, uh, converging all of the lessons of Surah Yusuf and how they apply to the Prophet and what people are to take away of the connection between this entire story and our beloved Messenger in one you know, concise place, in one very powerful place. So we said a few things about Hadihi Sabili, this is my path, and its connection to the past, and its connection to what is right in front of the Prophet and how he's demonstrating it. But now we have to take the next step. You know, in, from, a, from an Arabic grammar point of view, sometimes the discussions the grammarians have are more complex than the textbook analysis of, you know, grammatical structures. Because in, in rhetoric and how communication works sometimes, things aren't as textbook when somebody communicates. So the reason I bring that up is, ad'u ilallahi ala basiratin is the next phrase. I'll translate that along with the first that we already discussed. Tell them, this is my path. And the next sentence is, I call to Allah based on vision, based on clear vision, right? So that's, that's uh, the next phrase. But the grammarians try to make a connection between hadihi sabili and ad'u ilallahi ala basiratin. And the way they do that is they take the dhamir al-mutakallim in sabili, the ya in sabili, which means my path. And they say that the ad'u, the ana inside ad'u, the, the present tense, I call or I invite to Allah, this ad'u, this fi'il becomes a hal of the ya al-mutakallim. Now what does that mean in simple English? What that means in simple English is, this is my path as I call to Allah. So two things are happening at the same time. He's talking about the path he's on, sallallahu alayhi wa He's being commanded to say, this is the path that I'm on. So if you want to take a visual example, somebody's walking on a particular road, and as they are walking, at, they're not just pointing at a road and saying that's the road I'm going to take. No, the hadhi means they're already on that road, right? It's, as opposed to tilka sabili, that is my road, meaning that's the road I'm going to be taking, or that's the road I'd want to take. But if you say this is my road or this is my path, that means they're already on it. So the visual image is that of someone already on a road and they're walking on that path. And as they're walking on the path, they say, uh, as I'm walking on this path, I'm inviting to Allah. I'm inviting. Now, when you say, when you're walking and you invite somebody, again, keep that image in mind. You're walking and you call somebody over. You're asking them to join you on the same trip. And when someone says, why should I walk with you here? What's the, where are you going? Where are you headed? Because a path is never a destination. A path is a means to a destination. So here in the phrase, we started with the phrasing that involves a journey. And he says, I'm already on a journey to Allah. But I don't want to go, I don't want just this journey to be for myself. 
I'd like you to be on this journey with me, the destination of which is Allah. Ad'u ilallahi ala basiratin. And so there's this really beautiful you know, uh, imagery that's encompassed where a person travels on a road because they'd like to make it to a destination. They want to get there because that's what their goal is. That's what their you know, ultimate success is. And obviously, what's a greater success than journeying towards Allah? But our Prophet ﷺ has been, been commanded to say, you're on this journey already. Let people know that you're on this journey, whether they join you or not. But you will. your job while you are on this journey is to invite them. And so I'm just fulfilling my duty, not just to go on this path and say, you do whatever you want. But in fact, as I'm walking this journey, I would like you to come along with me. And I'm inviting you not to myself. I don't need the company. Of, I don't need your company. This is not for me. This is for you to reach that destination. So it's not, ad'ukum ilayya. I'm calling you to me. I'm calling you to me. Or sahibuni. Or accompany me. He's not saying any of that. He's simply saying, I'm inviting you to the destination. And it's, it's remarkable that there's no maf'ul bihi in the phrase, ad'ukum ilallah. I am inviting you to Allah. No, you isn't there. It's not ad'un nasa ilallah. You know? But the openness of it is very powerful as if to say, those of you that hear me and don't care, and those of you that haven't heard me yet, and those of you that will hear me generations from now, continents from now, across oceans from now, like you and me, will be inside the echo of this phrase, I call to Allah. Because today, I'm sitting here, you're listening, and we are actually being called to Allah by those words that were told to the Prophet So we actually are living his, his, the revealed statement that Allah gave to him, Ad'u ilallah. You know how when someone says something on a microphone and the echo carries, right? The echo of those words is still carrying as people are being called to Allah. It's, it's a really incredible thing. So you, you know why this is remarkable also? Because when someone when the statement starts, Hadihi Sabili, this is my path. It's a the expression has it's injected with loneliness. This is my road as if to say nobody else is on it. I'm not getting support from you. I have practically nobody with me, but this is the road I'm taking. This is almost like, you know, in Hunayn, Anannabiyu la kadib. I am the Prophet. That's not a lie. He he stands alone. And he, he's still going to do what he's going to do. And yet, right after his loneliness in Hadihi Sabili, immediately after that, he says, I call to Allah. And we, hindsight is twenty twenty. that call to Allah makes him the most followed prophet in all of history. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he didn't even limit the audience of who is being invited. And so in, in, uh, Allah opened that up. Is inside ad'u ilallahi ala basiratin. There are others that haven't even joined them yet. And they're, they're, they're captured inside. The other, the, now that image, let's go back to that image of somebody walking. And as they're walking, they're inviting you. Right? So they're not just inviting you to the destination. Because somebody could say, well, yeah, I'm, I, that's great that you're taking this road. But I'm familiar with that destination. I'll take my own road. Right? But he's saying, this is my path. And when I'm inviting you, as if to say, I'm inviting you to this path of mine that leads to that goal. And what he's also in an implied statement here is, there is no other path to that goal. That's why I've taken this path. Because this is the path that leads to Allah. And every other path that you think leads there is a lie. It has a, it's, it's got some elements of truth mixed with falsehood. 
And if, or if there's any other destination other than Allah, you need to rethink destination itself. Because if that is your destination, then this is the road. If you're choosing a different road, you must have a different destination in mind. But if that's what, if that's the destination, that the final end is towards your master, and you end up in front of your master in the end. If that's your goal, then this is the road I invite you to. You know, it's important to draw a contrast sometimes. Um, early on in this series, we also talked about how uh, Christian theologians actually really lean on, on Joseph. They consider him the pre-Jesus Jesus, actually. Uh, and the reason they c consider him that is because he's technically an Israelite, but he's preaching to the Egyptians, right? So he's, a, he's an international message. And he's a savior for those people. He's a savior for the Gentiles, if you will. You see the connection they're trying to make with Jesus and the internationalization of the message and how he's not for the Israelites alone, even though Jesus himself said, I've come for the lost sheep of the sons of Israel, right? So, but they want to they wanna, you know, embed the, the, the lessons taken from Yusuf and kind of say, well, Yusuf was kind of a pre, is a prelude, a trailer for the real thing, which is Jesus. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is because a common Christian sentiment, a theological sentiment is the path to salvation goes through Jesus, right? So there's no way to the Lord except through me, right? That's the idea. But it, and in, this, in some sense, you might see a parallel between what's being said here. This is my path that leads to Allah. But it's not through me, it's through this path. And... This path is not for you, and I'm calling you to it. This path is something I'm on to begin with. So it's not, you must go on the path that I'm telling you. It's actually more, more beautiful than that. You, I'm inviting you to the path that I myself am walking. There's a really profound difference, right? So it's not through me as a person. It's through my path, which is why it's the, we have this reverence for the person of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam but actually we have that reverence for him because of the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu so there's the person of Rasulullah which is beloved but actually the thing that makes us that makes us beloved to Allah is the following of the prophet and the following means somebody's walking and you're following behind them fattabi'uni yuhibbukumullah right follow me and Allah will love you follow me Allah will love you that's that's the phrase so it's not through me or just believe in him, Allah will love you. No, but follow him and Allah will love you. So there's a really beautiful, subtle distinction also made about what is it that's being called for in Hadihi Sabili Adru ilallah. Then there's the next uh, piece of this. When somebody is on a journey and they're heading towards a destination, then why would they call others to that destination? That's not their journey. And it can be, you can say on the one hand, Rasulullah is concerned for everybody. But actually before even the concern, even though the concern is there, and he's crying for humanity. Before that concern, the thing that has to be understood is, he has been charged by Allah to call people. So whether people like hearing it or not, whether they want, want him to invite them or not, whether they would like to them to, him to stop or not, you, you want to go on this path, go ahead. Why are you bothering us? Quietly go do what you want to do. Why do you have to make noise? Why do you have to open your mouth? I can't. I have to call because this is not up to me. Qul, 
هذه سبيلي أدعو إلى الله قل you must declare that this is my path and you must declare that I'm calling people to Allah I'm calling to Allah meaning calling to Allah is a mandate given from Allah himself in another place in the Quran we find a reverse sequence for Muslims we see uh, in Surah Fusil Allah says وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَّنْ دَعَى إِلَى اللَّهِ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا وَقَالَ إِنَّنِي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Allah says who could be better in deeds than the one who calls to Allah while he acted righteously it's two parts, calling to Allah and acting righteously, right? And what that suggests is when you're calling somebody to something, then you should actually try to live, a, live up to it yourself. And it's really subtle that Allah did that in a way that it incorporates the Rasul, but it also includes us in a sense. Who could be better than someone who calls to Allah and acts righteously? But the acting righteously came second in that it's a hal, but it's kind of secondary. Why is it secondary? Well, if you're going to call someone, you may not be perfect, but at least you're trying. And you're doing what you can. But this is exclusive to Rasulullah And when it's exclusive to Rasulullah it's as if the fact that he's already walking this path took precedence. The amila salihan equivalent is hadihi sabili. He's already living that path. I'm already walking this path. And then I'm calling you to it. So I'm demonstrating what it means to walk on this path. I'm not calling you to ideas or to a philosophy or to a worldview in an abstract sense. I live it. I show it to you. I'm walking on this path. And as, as the more I walk it, the lonelier it gets and the more troublesome it gets. And yet I'm walking it. And now I invite you to the walk that I'm taking. Take my lead. If I can brave this path alone, then Allah will protect you. I told you last time that you know, he is a this hadhihi sabili. This this is my path is tied to previous prophets, and how he is actually the culmination of all those journeys, and that all those journeys traversed are perfected in the journey that the prophet is taking himself. And I made particular reference to Ibrahim alayhi salam who took that lonesome journey in his legacy. Then I tied it to Yusuf alayhi salam who took his lonesome journey, and Rasulullah had to start his lonesome journey. But you know what? When you tie yourself to a legacy of the past. Like Yusuf says in the surah itself, السلام, he says, I have followed the religion of my ancestors, Ibrahim and Ishaq and Yaqub. That's what he says, I have followed. Well, how is this not different then from what idol worshippers said? We only follow what we found our ancestors following. Isn't that what they used as an argument? So there needs to be a comparison and a contrast with what the Prophet is saying implicitly and what the mushrikun are saying. The mushrikun say, we follow what our ancestors follow and you're saying you follow the way of Ibrahim and Ishaq and Yaqub and now Yusuf who are in a sense your ancestors. So what's the difference? The difference is, first of all, I'm not following them and that's my goal. Right? I, the goal is to stay within tradition. But no, my goal is to call to Allah. Right? So they're not my end. Keeping in, because for, for, for people that follow previous legacies, their ultimate goal is I want to be like XYZ. I want to emulate them. But actually, they had a goal, they journeyed towards, and I'm on the same journey itself. But the other more important thing is you follow your ancestors without questioning anything. You follow them with the absolute confidence that because they are your, your, your elders, and they are your history, and they are your historical legacy. You must take pride in it. 
So they cannot be wrong in it. They're ha they have to be right. And they are, th this my nobility, my, my sense of identity comes from committing myself to what they did and being in line with their tradition. And yet I call to Allah ala basiratin, with eyes open, with a vision, based on vision. It's incredible. He's, I, I'm not saying I follow them because they're my ancestors. I follow them with eyes open. I realize that my ancestors actually opened their eyes and saw truth for what it was. And the first thing I learned from them is to open my, my eyes and come to conviction myself. Ibrahim salam refused to follow his own father or his caretaker, however you take it, whether it's uncle or father, regardless. That's the tradition he comes from. And he defies that tradition because he opens his eyes. He's, he's on Basira. And Rasulullah is saying, I call to Allah ala basiratin. Now here's the other, let's stick with the imagery. Because the, the, the taswir fanni in this ayah is just, it's on some remarkable level. You're on this road. There are obstacles on this road, yes or no? When you t take the road towards Allah, there are obstacles on the road. There are circumstances that get in your path. There are people that get in your path. Yourself gets in your way. The, the devil stands sits, sits on this road, blocking your view, doesn't he? There are things that are coming, hurling at you from every direction to take you off this road and not give you clear, a clear vision of what's ahead. And what's, what's the destiny? You know, if somebody was walking towards a mountain, right? And the road got, you know, the, the trees got so thick that you can't see the skyline. So you're not sure if you're walking towards the mountain anymore. So you need some clarity before you can see, oh, I'm still headed towards the mountain, right? Because the mountain's your goal, at least I'm heading that way. Or if it's getting too dark, you're not sure if you're traveling east anymore. Because at least when the sun was there, you could tell. You could have some navigational sense. When he says, Ad'u ilallah, he's calling on a goal that is the ultimate libatin. It's unseen. Allah is the unseen goal, isn't he? So it doesn't matter what seen obstacles come in the way, you still don't lose vision, ironically, of the unseen goal. I call to Allah with, with a, the kind of insight that no matter, no matter what obstacles my eyes see in front of me, they don't block my view from the goal that is behind all those obstacles, and that's Allah. This is also an, a, a hearkening, an echoing of something that occurred inside the surah. You see, in the instance, in the episode of Yusuf السلام, being tempted by you know, the wife of the minister, Allah says, They're behind closed doors, those are all locked, right? And Allah says, had he not seen the evidence of his master. You can't see anything, doors are closed. But what does he see? His master. And the, what his master is calling him to. In other words, it doesn't matter what blinding circumstances you find yourselves in. The environment will not determine, will not be a factor in deciding that you got blinded from Allah as your goal. This is a powerful and important insight into the Qur'an for a believer because we don't get to blame our environment for messing up. We don't get to do that. We don't get to say, well, you know, all my friends are messed up and my environment's messed up or I'm living in a messed up society, you know, 2020, the elections, that's why I do so much, it's so much stress, that's why I fall into haram. Or Hold on. You don't get to say that there are obstacles on this road, therefore I no longer have vision of Allah. I'm calling to Allah based on clear vision. Ad'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'
uh, because the idea of being a muqallid in aqidah is kind of a, a, a classical debate. Uh, but the, I'll, I'll share with you what I can extrapolate from the ayah without taking a side on the issue or even opening up that can of worms. It's pretty straightforward. And that is that our religion, especially based on this ayah, Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that you don't get to call someone to something until you have clear vision yourself. And the evidence that you have clear vision is that you're walking on that path. There's two components now. You don't get to talk about something until you know it through and through. And you see it for what it is. You have evidence. That's what, that's what makes you call on it. And the fact that you call on it because you're convinced, the, the biggest evidence that you are convinced of this truth and you see it for what it really is with vision, with insight, is actually that you are on the path yourself. هَذِهِ سَبِيلِي أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ عَلَى بَصِيرَةٍ And this basira, this idea of insight, let's read a little bit of uh, uh, what it means to have basira. وَالْبَصِيرَةُ فَعِيلَ بِمَعْنَى فَعِيلَ وَهِيَ الْحُجَّةُ الْوَاضِحَةُ It actually means clear, convincing, conclusive proof. I'm calling to Allah based on clear, convincing proof that is plain for the eyes to see. What that means is, I'm not calling to God as a mystery. I'm not calling to this religion because it'll make you feel good. I'm not calling to this religion because of its spiritual... All of those are true. But let me tell you, the reason, the confidence with which I'm saying, come and take this road. I invite you to this road that leads to Allah is because I'm convinced of this road and I'm convinced of Allah. And it's all because I I have absolute evidence for why I believe what I believe. I'm convinced in my heart of hearts. Not because I have a, you know, a, an emotional attachment to my ancestors. Not because it's something simply I feel, but it's something I know. Knowing like, you know, like they say, seeing is believing. It's taking it to that level because of the word basira. It's as if I can see it. it it's it's like, almost like aynul <laughs> yakhin. It's almost to that level. And so, وَالْمَعْنَى أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ بِبَصِيرَةٍ مُتَمَكِّنًا مِنْهَا you see, the grammatical structure is actually expected to have a different preposition here. It's supposed to be ad'u ilallahi bi basiratin. Bi basiratin. I call to Allah with insight. I call to Allah with insight. But Allah here chose to say or command the Prophet to say ad'u ilallahi ala basiratin. Ka'annahu qa'imun ala basirati. As if he's standing on a foundation. Of clear proof I'm not calling with proof I stand on proof Where I stand is a place of conviction You see the, uh, Actually before I uh, uh, Before I, I, I share that imagery with you Let me finish reading this, this note on Basira This is a figurative expression Instead of saying evidence He's calling it insight or vision And in Arabic actually The one who can see is someone Who has clear proof because by way of that clear proof, he can see reality for what it is. So in the Quran, you find when our ayat come to them, that make them see. Mubsira. Ayat come and the ayat are described, the revelations of Allah, the miracles of Allah are described as some things that help you see things for what they are. 
And on the flip side in the Quran, Allah will say, when my, my, my Allah has, a prophet will say, Allah's mercy has come to me and you have been blinded from it. Meaning you're blinded from the evidence that's right in your face. Why can't you see it? So being able to see and being blind are actually imagery in the Quran for someone who follows evidence as opposed to someone who doesn't. That's the, the, the these images are important. So now when he says, Adru ilallahi ala basiratin, I call on Allah ala basiratin. What that means is that it's very dangerous for Muslims who are living in a time where Islam, I'll be careful with my language as much as I can be, where Islam becomes a minority. Islam becomes scarce. Not Muslims. Muslims can be plenty. Islam can become scarce. Conviction in the unseen can become scarce. The goal that allies the ultimate goal can become scarce and can be replaced with entertainment. It can be replaced with monetary goals. It can be re re replaced with social goals, virtual goals, you know, shallow goals, so easily. We don't have to have idols in our homes to worship the material anymore. We can have idols on our phones. And our, our dedication to them and our constant dhikr of them is a pretty solid indication of how much we do i'tikaf of them. <laughs> the idea that when you sit something, you, the, the ancients used to sit before an idol, dedicated eyes, head, you know, ears, focused on the idol, and they're just sitting there, meditating, right? What's the closest thing to that? Somebody sitting still, focused on one thing, and the world has been left behind. Virtual realities, aren't they? That's i'tikaf, isn't it? How is that? How can someone stop and just be still if they have a goal and they're traversing on a journey, right? It's this immersion into the virtual and this immersion into, you know, these uh, distractions have now taken our vision away. So even if we pray, and even if we are Muslim in many other senses of the world, we dress like Muslim, we eat like Muslim, right? We talk like a Muslim, but our thoughts have been invaded by idols. Our thoughts our aspirations, our goals. Are we really on a path? Are we able to... We could say we share certain beliefs, we share certain rituals. Would you, would you call that a path though? Would you call that a... And more importantly, would you call that a path of resistance? You know what that means, a path of resistance? Meaning the more you walk it, the more people don't like it. Are we on such a path that we hold on to our conviction in Allah and people around us are... Averse to it Because the nicest people that ever lived Were prophets And the more they walked this path The more enemies they made And they didn't walk this without evidence So if somebody would try to question them They would stand on evidence But today For many people It's not just Muslims People of any religion they're, they're, They follow that religion Because their parents were that religion They follow that religion Because they're born in a Muslim country Or they follow that religion Because everybody around them Always did what they did And you know what happens With people like that They get to a certain age They start questioning Why am I even doing this And this happens in the Quran too There's somebody who comes to their parents And doesn't want to believe And the, the parents say What's wrong with you? Believe Allah's promise is true He says He says no These are just old stories Stop with these old stories Sometimes in the comment section, in Tafsir Yusuf, Yusuf, people make comments like that. You people keep, want to keep talking about people who died thousands of years ago, live in the real world. They literally say the ayah of Quran, مَا illa illa أَسَاطِيرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ 
They, they, they say that. You know why? Because Basira is missing. And I don't blame those people. I don't blame them. We didn't give them the foundation to stand on. They, these Sahaba were convinced. This, can, this is not human. This, these words are not the product of the human mind. This is something beyond that. They saw it for what it was. And I found that for myself. Like, why did I become so convinced? Because, you know, I'm unconventional in many things, as I am in my faith. I, I at some point in my life, I refused to accept this faith as mine because my parents are Muslim. I, I just didn't want to take that road. I didn't find it, you know, appealing to me. Even before I practiced Islam much, and my parents weren't supervising my behavior and I was living on my own, I refused to, and some of my friends were actually involved in alcohol and drugs and things like that. And even when I wasn't religious at all, I didn't go near alcohol or drugs and they would ask me why. And I would say, because I think it's an insult to my intellect. <laughs> my response to it was, I, I, maybe that was an arrogant thing to say, but the point was, I know that people lose their mental faculty, right? When they engage in those kinds of things. And I have too much respect for my ability to think, to even lose, to, to let that slip for a little bit. But it's that same mindset that made me say, why should I believe this religion? Because my parents are Muslim? No, I want, and, and, and there was a part of pride too, but so all the Muslims are wrong? I was just born in a backward society? I need to know this book for myself. I need to learn this for myself. And when I did embark on that journey, by Allah's mercy, Allah's, Allah's grace alone All the philosophical doubts that I had Quran crushed All the areas where I thought Religion cannot have the answer Quran crushed Quran became my basira And actually one of the readings of this ayah is Ad'u ilallahi ala basiratin Ay ayat al-Quran Al-ayat al-mu'jizah Al-ayat al-mubsirah the ayat that let you see, the ayat that open your eyes. When you when I studied the Quran and I felt started feeling more and more like he's talking to me, like he knows what's going on deep inside me. You know, you have to go to a when you talk to somebody, you have to let them know how you feel. You have to let them know what's going on inside of you, and then maybe hopefully they can relate to you, and then maybe they can give you some advice. And I'm studying Quran, and I don't have to tell Allah anything. And he's telling me what's going on inside me and how he addresses it. And I'm like, what? So, deep inside themselves, we will show them our ayat. His ayat were talking about me on the inside. And that became enough for me. Then came the language study and the, you know, the tafsirs the, the and all that stuff. And that only reinforced one thing basira, 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 basira. But the point is, I was satisfied. That this faith is the truth completely on sight, on vision. You know, ala basiratin. And Rasul is being told to say, I'm calling to Allah with open eyes. And this is actually, in a sense, a dig also. Because whatever you're calling to, you're asking people to close their eyes. Whatever else you want people to follow, you want them to follow it out of peer pressure, you want them to follow it because it will satisfy some animal urges. You will have to close your eyes to certain realities to be able to follow those ways. And if you dare to open your eyes, I invite you. I invite you to challenge. I invite you to come and question me and say, what do you mean open eyes? Come and ask questions. 
Bring your evidences. This is one of the most amazing phenomena in the Quran, in the life of the Prophet on this issue. The most religiously intellectual, theologically versed people in the region were the rabbis. These are people of scholarly tradition. They're actually, even the Arabs are calling them al-ahbar, people dipped in ink. That's what they call them. And Rasul is in Medina, and Rasul is by his own, by the Quran's own stamp, an Nabi al-Ummi, the unlettered prophet. So you've got a prophet who has no scholarly background, and you've got people that have thousands of years of scholarship and tradition and knowledge of prophets and scripture on their backs. And they don't study like we study. Like when you guys, nowadays when somebody goes to an Islamic university, they study for four years. If they go to a more traditional school, eight years, 12 years. When they go to these yeshiva institutes, you better believe it, man. 10, 12 hours a day, 20 years on end. And then they'll come back and do a PhD. And then they'll go back for further studies. These people are, when you see, when you think about Ahbar, this is no joke. What these people do, the way they study is no joke. I've known some highly qualified rabbis and their study habits, and they put us to shame. They literally put us to shame. There's no comparison. And what does the Quran do? The Quran openly challenges them and says, Bring Torah. Read it. Someone with no degrees, someone with no seminary education, is going to challenge the legions of scholars to open not his book, but their own, and come and read it. Why? Because Allah has opened his eyes to a reality that nobody else can see. There's another ala basira, which is a, a beautiful perspective on ala basira. And that is that this path is not new. It's been walked by many before, right? And I hate to give you video game references, but in some racing games, they have shadow racing. Right? Shadow racing is somebody's already beat the record and you're trying to beat their record. So while you're racing, it shows the shadow of them already. And you're like behind them. Or you're, you're ahead of them But somebody else has already traversed this path And you can see the shadow of them Like a ghost version of them, right? The reason I make that reference is When I walk this path I can see how Musa took these steps I can see how Ibrahim took these steps I can see where Yusuf took these steps I, can see, I have a basira on this path Of those who traversed it before me Because Allah has opened my eyes To all those who walked this journey before And I can see that like you can't You think I'm alone Let's build on that idea And it's a very powerful build from that You think I'm alone when I walk on this path What you don't realize is I have the spirit of the legacies Of all those remarkable people that are my support they, Their history and their profound legacies Are actually my company on this path They may not be with me physically in time They may be separated by thousands of years from me But in spirit they're right next to me I'm reliving Yusuf right now I'm reliving Ibrahim right now I'm reliving Musa right now And they were going towards Allah And I'm going towards Allah so this is so, so I see things that you can't see. Only you will only see it when you're on this path. You can't see it as a theory. You have to live it to see what this is. You know what this feels like. And so ad'u ilallahi ala basiratin. Then we get to the other side. 
I said, I call to Allah based on vision, right? Based on conviction. And by the way, this is why one of my, my, my I think, core concepts in what I think is children's education is we need to give them basira. They need to know why they're Muslim. They need to have Ibrahimi iman. They have to have the iman of Ibrahim. Why? Because Ibrahim salam came to conviction. Right? And this conviction is actually what will save them in a society where they feel alone. Because we are living in Abrahamic times. We're living in Yusuf times. We're living in Quraysh times. Why? Because Islam is scarce. And the, th- the, the ideas and the forces that want to take faith, rip it from inside you, are many. And they don't have to be outside the walls of your home. They are on your screens. Right? So unless you have some powerful shield inside that will keep this faith from being ripped out, actually, you won't even have to be on defense. You'll be on offense. Look at the ayah. I'm not protecting my faith. I'm calling you to Allah. <laughs> you know? Tomorrow, inshallah, I'll share with you by contrast. This is, this is something Rasul is told to say, right? Tomorrow, I'll show you, inshallah, how Ibrahim salam made a monologue that echoes this. He actually spoke to his people and his version of ad'u ilallahi ala basiratin. Because this is the legacy of Ibrahim salam. And so we have to see that too. So you could see the tie-in together, how, how everything is tied together in the Qur'an. But actually, I am so convinced of it, I don't have to protect my faith, I'm going to call you to it. The best, you know they say best defense is offense? In, in sociology, minority communities, the only way they can preserve their identity is isolation. So in New York, if you have a, you know, a traditional Jewish community, they can have you know Coney Island Avenue area, they can have an area where this is Orthodox Jewish, all the signs are in Hebrew, they dress traditionally, they have Sabbath off and all, all of that. So they can preserve their, you know, their institutes and their culture. Or you can have a Chinatown where everybody's going to speak Chinese or whatever. Because if they mix, they're going to lose their what? They're going to lose their identity. Because the dominant culture is too powerful, it'll pluck them away and they'll just become a mix and a hodgepodge of other things and eventually just one giant melting pot, right? So to preserve your people, you have to pull aside and you have to isolate. Quran is not afraid of assimilating into a society. Why? Because ala basira. Because of this standing on pure on vision, standing on insight, we're not afraid of being assimilated. It doesn't matter what culture we go to, what languages we learn, what, what cuisine we eat. Because of that insight, we can be anywhere and still be as convinced of Islam. We can be surrounded by any environment and still be convinced of this deen. And I call to Allah based on that. But now the other side of it. There's another grammatical reading of this ayah. Really cool. Here's what it is. Ad'u Allah. The sentence ends. I call to Allah. Exclamation mark. Yeah? This is my path. I'm calling to Allah. Exclamation. And then a new sentence. Which means the, the original sequence would be I and whoever were to follow me stand on conviction. I, not just we call based on conviction. We, when, you call, when we call to Allah, we give you evidences. Not just that. Now it's saying something more. Now it's saying, I and whoever were to follow me, our entire identity is based on clear evidence. Not just our call. Not just our da'wah. Everything we do, we're clear about why we're doing it. We live with clarity. We die with clarity. We earn with clarity. 
Our existence speaks clarity, vision. We are a people of vision by definition. You know, by contrast, they say, uh, you know, the, the, this use of Allah is used in Quran when uh, some groups of Jews and some groups of Christians are debating each other. And they say, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ لَيْسَتِ النَّصَارَى عَلَى شَيْءٍ وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَى لَيْسَتِ الْيَهُودُ عَلَى شَيْءٍ They say, the Jews say the Christians are on, literally, they stand on nothing. And the Christians say the Jews stand on nothing. You know what that means? They have no basis. And it means they have no basis for their faith and for their claims. It also actually means they have no basis to exist, legitimately exist as what they do. Those are the two claims they make against each other. Similarly, Allah says to the Israelites, Ya, uh, what is it? Lastum ala shay hatta tuqimu tawrata wal injil. You stand on nothing until you live by and you uphold the Torah and the Injil. You stand on nothing. And the idea of standing on something means you have a basis for which you exist. You have, like, you know, um, people say we stand on the, you know, we, we stand on the, the legacy of our ancestors, or we stand on the legacy of this constitution, of, our, of the founding fathers of this nation, etc., etc., right? But here we say we stand on the vision that Allah has passed down. We stand on that vision, ala basiratin. It's as if this ayah, this phrase, ala basiratin ana wa man ittaba'ani, is the ayah of what you can call the Muslim identity. Like what is the basis of Muslim identity? You know, they say identity crisis nowadays, right? And, you know, uh, psychologists will talk about, you know, what do you call home? I'll, I'll share something personal with you. In A long time ago, uh, I was actually speaking with uh, a therapist and we went through this exercise. It was a really interesting exercise. And the therapist asked me, so where were you born? And I was like, Germany. I said, okay, so how long were you in Germany? Well, I was five or six years old. Okay, then where did you go? I went to Pakistan. How, are you, how long were you in Pakistan? I said, about nine months. Okay, then what happened? Well, I moved to Saudi Arabia. Okay, then, then what, how long were you in Saudi Arabia? Well, about six or seven years. How did you feel in Saudi Arabia? Did you feel at home? No, I felt like a foreigner. We felt like we were being made fun of, we, you know. We felt like a, a weird minority, scared all the time, etc. We talked about that when, you, when I was a kid. And I was there during the Gulf War. And he said, then what happened? Then we went back to Pakistan. Did you feel at home in Pakistan? No, I felt like it was really difficult to adjust. How long were you there? About a year. Then what happened? Then we moved to the United States. Did you feel at home when you came there? No, I felt like I didn't speak English. Everybody was making fun of me. And I feel like an outsider, didn't really belong, etc., etc. Right? So you go through the early years of childhood and where I've been. And the therapist tells me, you don't have a home. Like when you think of what, what's your home? Where, where do you belong? A person has to have some place they think of that's their anchor, right? But you traveled so much and you felt like as a child, you felt disconnected so much that you actually don't have a home. And that's from their therapeutic training, the idea of a home is a physical place that you are anchored to, right? And that's your safe place, you know, where you held your teddy bear or where there was your favorite picture on the wall, or where you'd come downstairs and mom would give you breakfast, etc. You, you don't have a home because you kept transitioning from one society to another. So, you're, you know, so you don't have an anchor, right? From a psychological point of view. I was like, that's a pretty profound insight. And I started thinking about that from the Quran point of view. And the first thought that, thought that came to me is, Yusuf alayhi salam, what's home? What's home for Yusuf alayhi salam? And you know what? If you study the words of Yusuf, just if you the, the surah has lots of words, 
But if you just isolate the words of Yusuf and kind of try to analyze what he's saying and how he's approaching things, you find that his anchor, his anchor is the vision passed down by Ibrahim, Ismail, Ishaq, Yaqub. That vision is his home. It doesn't matter physically where he is. It's his connection to his Rabb that's his home. That's actually his anchor. And he went through remarkable traumatic experiences as a child. Someone like that in their adult life nowadays would say, you need therapy for life. You've been the kind of trauma you've been through, you need a lot of therapy. What is, and, and that may be true even, but what is therapeutic for Yusuf alayhi The anchor that keeps him grounded all the time, that gives him a sense of safety all the time. He's being thrown into a well, and he's feeling safe because Allah sends the message, You will inform them of what they did. Right? <laughs> Think about that. What a horrifying situation. You're being thrown into a well. You don't know if there's snakes down there. And we talked about that before. But now you're feeling a sense of safety because Allah just sent you. You'll let them, you'll be telling them. His home became this basira, this vision. Home to us is not a physical place. And actually even sometimes those homes get demolished and people say, well, I traveled back to my bedroom when I was little and that, that's my safe place, right? And that, there's validation for that in the world of therapy. But in the spiritual world, what Allah is telling us is that one anchor that you will have that will give you calm all the time. And that's why the word calm is used in that ayah. By remembering Allah, hearts become tranquil. Hearts become calm because their hearts are finally home. Why is that though? I started thinking about from a therapeutic point of view, the idea of your origins being anchored to a certain place makes you feel like that is your safe place. That's your home, your childhood home, right? And in the spiritual sense, before we even came here, our home was in the company of Allah. So it's in the remembrance of Allah that we find ourselves back home. That's where the anchor comes from. So he says here, the foundation of my identity is exclusively and first and foremost on this vision and basic Arabic grammar it is actually only on this insight that I stand that I exist and whoever will choose to follow me is actually almost sad and powerful at the same time the actually doesn't say and then he doesn't say and my followers my followers no and whoever might end up following me in other words if all of you follow me if none of you follow me I still stand on basira I still stand on vision and what did what did this ayah do that is so profound like, please like, I know I've been talking a lot but you gotta just bear with me on this because this is heavy the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ connects us to him, yes? So when somebody eats, their, eats with their right hand, they're doing something their beloved did. So it, it brings me and Rasul in, into one common practice. When I entered the bathroom with my left foot, I did something the Prophet emulated, ﷺ, so it connects me to him. When I follow any sunnah of Rasul ﷺ, I'm connecting to him by emulating his behavior, right? This ayah, is actually emulating my person. Meaning, 
Rasul is being told, put Ana wa manittaba'ani. I and whoever follows me stand on insight. So when I develop insight, when I develop proper vision, when I develop a real foundation of why I believe what I believe, when I do that, then I have something in common with my Prophet himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I now have a, a droplet of the basira that he had. If he had the basira that was an ocean, I got a drop out of that ocean. Now basira itself ties me to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ana waman ittaba'ani. And it also tells me that if for me, it's not ana waman yu'min or waman amana bi. I and whoever believes in me. No, I and whoever followed me. Whoever were to follow me. You know what that tells you? That tells you it is, the, it is actually vision that truly empowers somebody to follow the Prophet And if there's a lacking in following him, it actually in the, illustrates a lacking in the vision, the foundational vision that they're supposed to have in this faith. When that vision is powerful, when the, those roots are deep, then the actions of following the Prophet are going to extend to the sky. Asluha thabitun wa sama. The foundations are, are firm and the branches reach into the sky. So Ana wa man is actually putting me and Rasul Sallallahu together. This is a beautiful way. And this has happened in Baqarah too. Amana Rasulu bima unzila ilayhi min rabbihi wal mu'minun. The messenger believed in what was given to him and so did the believers. So we were tied to Rasul Sallallahu in iman in that ayah. We're tied to Rasul Sallallahu on standing on the foundation of vision and insight in this ayah. How important it is, is it for us to have the insight that the Prophet ﷺ was so confident in. And what was that insight? That was the word of Allah. That was the word of Allah. I would say, I would make the claim here that making this statement, what it does is it actually challenges any who say that they would like to follow their Prophet ﷺ to actually develop the insight of the Qur'an. It challenges them out of love of their Prophet, out of affiliation with their Prophet ﷺ, that they develop the insight of Allah's words. And I pray Allah makes us among those people. That's so we're, we're truly enabled to follow Him. And the sad part of it is, it's as if, man ittaba'ani, as opposed to, walladhina ittaba'uni, the jama' could have been used, and the man of ibham, the man of ambiguity, and the singularity of it, even though it can encompass the plural, what it suggests is, few will be able to really live by vision. Many can follow, but few can stand on true vision And so we have to become of those few That stand on Basira So after all of this Now let's put the Qul aside And I'll actually no I want to leave that for tomorrow Because I want you to focus on what we did today <laughs> So we'll I think we'll do tomorrow um, Are lessons on their own So I think we need to Kind of uh, give them their own due and then we'll tie all of the ayah together. So another day for ayah number 108. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Quran al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for my epic escape.